0: Just to let you know, too, while you're turning to the book of Acts, chapter 20, we're going to begin at verse 25 tonight. And like I said, finish out the chapter. Uh, The first eight weeks of the new year will be devoted to finishing up the book of Acts, the last eight chapters of Acts. But then I'll be starting a new series on prayer. And uh, there's been a lot of renewed interest in our church in prayer. We're going to start this new prayer team uh, that's going to begin meeting in January, and, and we have a lot of people who are, who are interested in learning about prayer and, and all those things uh, connected to prayer. So we're going to do an in-depth study, digging into to prayer uh, and all that that entails after we finish out the book of Acts. I'm excited about that. I think there's going to be a lot of people interested in that series. But tonight we want to finish out chapter 20 of the book of Acts, where we're looking at the heart of Paul. And I don't think any chapter in the New Testament reveals the heart of Paul like Acts chapter 20. And we looked at about half of it, or a little bit more than half of it, last week. And I think Paul, the reason he had such a heart for the church, the reason I think he had such a heart for his brothers and sisters in Christ, was because Paul never forgot when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and, and that was like the beginning of, of him coming to Christ. I don't think he ever forgot the words from Jesus. Why, Saul, are you persecuting me? And, and he, he understood at that moment and began to understand that, as Jesus said even in his other teachings, if you've done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. And that... that That was such a powerful thing for Paul to absorb in his life. And I think that's why he lived it out the rest of his life. That In in Paul's mind, however I treat my brothers and sisters, however I treat the church, that's how I'm treating Jesus. That they are one and the same. That we cannot separate it out. We are born into his body and we are all part of the body of Christ. And therefore, how we treat other Christians is how we would treat Jesus Christ. Christ. And so I think Paul was like, wow, if if I'm going to express my love for God, for Jesus, then I've got to express my love to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've got to be passionate about them and I've got to have a heart for them as well. And we see again that heart on display here in Acts chapter 20. Uh, And I want to begin tonight again in verse 25. Where Paul says, and now I know that none of you among whom I went around proclaiming the kingdom of God will see me again. I think Paul had uh, the leading here of the Holy Spirit to know that this would be the last time he would ever physically see these people again that he's about ready to talk to. Um, I think God is preparing him for what's ahead. And, and this is part of why months ago as I was preparing for this, God led me to do this series we're going to start off in January with you know, on Sunday mornings on the essentials or the indispensables or however you want to look at it. Because it was, it was getting me to think about it. if I was in Paul's place, if I knew that this was the last conversation I was ever going to have with these people, if I knew tonight If I knew tonight that this was the last time I'd ever teach the Word, that I'm going to leave here and go into eternity, what would I say? What would be the last thing that I would want to leave with you? That's where Paul's at here in Acts 20. He truly believes that he will never see these spiritual leaders from the church at Ephesus ever again. And so what he's about to share with them is obviously going to be things that he feels are essential, indispensable for them to know. Things that he wants to leave with them. Things that he wants them to keep thinking about in the days ahead and long after Paul's gone to keep being reminded of. And so that's where Paul's at. And notice something too in verse 25. He says, I know that I'm not going to see you again, but I want you to know that I went around proclaiming the kingdom, the rule and reign of God in people's lives. And notice this comes on the heels in verse 24 of him talking about sharing the good news of God's grace. And to Paul, there was never a contradiction between being a teacher of God's grace and a teacher of the rule and reign of God in people's lives. In fact, he saw them as complementary. Because if someone truly understands the grace of God, they understand that God's grace is going to lead people to surrender or to submit to God's rule and reign in their life. It's not just, I'm saved and I can still live however I want to. That's not why God saved us. That's not the purpose of salvation. That's not the purpose of our connection with God. As Paul even said many times, yes, you have liberty in Christ, but don't use your liberty to just satisfy your own selfish desires. Use it to serve one another, Paul said. And so Paul never saw a contradiction between God's grace and teaching God's grace and teaching the kingdom of God. God wants to bring all of us into His kingdom but when we understand what that means, that understand that means he's the king. He's the ruler. He's the leader. And we are then willing to submit to the king. We're going to talk Sunday about the wise men coming from the east looking for the king of the Jews. So he talks here about the kingdom. Then in verse 26, he says, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of you all. We could use the word blameless there. That doesn't mean that Paul shared the gospel with every last person in this region. That's not what he's saying. But here's why he considered himself blameless or innocent. He goes on in verse 27. For I did not hold back from announcing to you the whole purpose of God. That's why he considers himself blameless or innocent. In other words, Paul's saying I didn't pick and choose certain parts of the scriptures to share with you. I didn't pick my favorites. I didn't pick your favorites. I didn't pick the things you and I just wanted to hear. Paul says, I shared it all. The whole plan, the whole purpose, the whole counsel of God. That is the responsibility of every teacher. That is the responsibility of every spiritual leader in the church of Jesus Christ. Is not that we share just the things that we like to share, but that we share the whole purpose of God. Because it's only in sharing the whole thing that people are going to get a well-rounded, balanced view of and correct view, and accurate view of God, His will, and His ways. If we only choose certain things to talk about all the time, then people are going to be lopsided in their spiritual health. They're going to maybe be be very, you know, uh, knowledgeable about this area, but they're going to be totally ignorant of other areas. And that's why we've got to make it a commitment for all of us, whether we teach or not, as Christians, to every once in a while travel through the entire Word of God. I encourage Christians, you know, try to read as much as possible the entire Word of God. I know there are parts in the Old Testament that you just want to pull your hair out if you had any. I get that. You know, they might not be the most, you know. uh, but, But if we're going to to get an accurate, exact picture of God, we've got to to deal with the whole thing, not just the parts that we like. And that's why Paul said, I feel like I'm blameless because I didn't hold anything back. I made known to you everything. Now, verse 28. Paul says first to these spiritual leaders from Ephesus, watch out for yourselves. If he had to leave something, here's where it really begins. And the first thing he says is, make sure you take care of your own spiritual life. Very interestingly, the words watch out here in the Greek language speaks about steering a ship through rough seas into harbor. It's an interesting thought. Paul's basically saying to all of us, look, our lives are going to be traveling at times over rough seas and if we're going to land our ship the ship of our life into harbor safely and steer it through the rough seas every once in a while then we've got to be alert we've got to be watchful we can't be complacent or passive or or uh you know indifferent we've got to be continually engaged just as a uh, a captain of a ship should be always engaged while they're steering the ship and responsible for all the passengers on board. And you and I have certainly seen examples where that didn't happen in the last couple of years. I think about that uh, Italian uh, cruise ship that ran aground and all those people died over there off the coast of Italy because the captain really wasn't at his post you know, steering that ship and making sure that it, that it got safely to its destination. These are the words that Paul is using. These are the thoughts that Paul wants to plant into these spiritual leaders. He says, above everything else, watch out for yourselves first, because you can't lead others unless you can also lead yourself. Make sure you're steering yourself through these rough seas in the way that you should. And then he adds... Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. First, watch out for yourself. But then, be watchful for those under your spiritual responsibility. He uses the word overseer. We could use the word guardian here. And all of us, all of us have responsibility in our life from God, things that we are to oversee things that we are guardians of. As parents, that's true of our children, of any responsibility that God gives us. God gives us certain areas where we are overseeing it. We are guardians of it. And therefore, we have the responsibility to watch over it and make sure that we are steering these folks and this ministry or whatever God's given us through these rough seas safely into harbor. And then he says, not only the, the making of you as overseers, but also to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. Several things. First of all, the word shepherd means to feed, to lead, to protect. And God wants us as spiritual leaders to primarily be involved in those things, to feed people, to lead people, to protect the flock, just like... Shepherds would, and he's going to add to that idea of protection here in just a moment. But another very important thing that Paul points out is this. The church is not mine or yours. The church is God's. Because God purchased it with the blood of His own Son. And what that does is, is primarily keep us from not assuming any responsibility for who we are and what we are in the church, because it's God's church, but it also prevents us from being overly responsible and taking on more than we should, because there are certain things that are beyond us and out of our control, and it's up to God to do, not up to us. And that's why we've always got to remember this is God's church. The oasis is God's church. And there are certain things that all of us then, if we are part of this body, we have a responsibility to one another. But there's other things that we're not responsible for because, again, those things are out of our control. They're beyond us. And we must leave those to God. God's got to take care of that. Because it's God's church. And if it is God's church, and we believe it is, then we know He will take care of it. And can I say... Coming up on five years in April, God has taken very good care of us. Over and over again. God has protected us. God has taken care of us. Over and over. Let's not forget that God purchased us. That's why Paul told the Corinthians You're not your own. You're not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. That gets back again to seeing things from the kingdom standpoint. Jesus didn't die and shed His blood so that you and I could live our lives how we want to. God died for us, bought us, Purchased us out of the slave market of sin. Transferred us into the kingdom of God. Set us free, not so that we could live how we want, but live for His glory, how He wants. Because we've been all purchased. And we are not our own. Then verse 29. Going back and tying this back to part of shepherding is protecting... Paul says in verse 29, I know. How he knows, maybe it's just, well, it's just common sense. I believe also beyond that, that again, the Holy Spirit was giving him, you know, uh, discernment here and perception beyond what maybe he could physically see at the time, that there were going to, there was going to be trouble after he left. That as long as he was there, the wolves were going to stay away. But once he was gone, the flock there in Ephesus was going to be more susceptible. And so he says, I know that after I'm gone, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. By the way, the word fierce means troublesome. They're going to stir up trouble. They're going to be troublemakers. And this is really sobering verse 30, even from among your own group Wow. see it's not it's not that the, the trouble is always coming from outside. In fact the New Testament points out that most of the time the trouble that the church has is born from within the church itself. It's what Jude talks about in the book of Jude right before the book of Revelation. So Paul says, even from among your own group, men will arise teaching perversions, corrupting the truth, distorting the word of God. Notice, to draw the disciples away after them. That's a key. True disciples and true spiritual leaders and true teachers of the word of God are going to always seek to get people to follow Christ. False teachers, false prophets, people that should not be in spiritual leadership in any way will always seek to draw people to them and get them to follow them, not God. Because they're about building up their own following. And that's one of the great ways we can differentiate between the true and the false. Therefore, Paul says in verse 31 be alert. The word means don't fall asleep at your post. Certainly, soldiers and anyone in the military can identify with this. If we had a post to guard, then it was up to us to make sure we didn't fall asleep or or we weren't alert or watchful or on guard at all times because other people were depending on us staying at our post and staying awake and alert at our post. And Paul is using that military language to speak to Christians and especially spiritual leaders and saying, it's never time to not be at your post, to be faithful, to be dependable, to be reliable. Because the wolves are always there. Shepherds could not take a day off and say to the the flock of sheep, okay, you guys, you know, uh, I've been with you now day in and day out, but now I'm going to leave because as soon as the shepherd would leave, guess what would happen? The flock would be susceptible. And that's why we've got to be on guard and at our post at all times. Or else the enemy, we open up a door for the enemy to insert themselves. Notice then, he goes on to say, verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I did not stop warning each of you with tears. First of all, let's talk about the word warning here. It means to exhort, to admonish, even to counsel, In fact, it is the word from the New Testament where we get our word for biblical counseling from. Nutheo. It literally means to counsel one another. And then Paul says, with tears. In other words, again, going back to the heart of Paul, Paul wasn't this cold, just meeting people at an intellectual, analytical level. Paul ministered with emotion, Paul ministered with feeling. Paul shed tears over people and over his ministry. Is it hard to love people and open yourselves up to people and relationships? Absolutely. Because if something happens, if, 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 if they leave or whatever, that's, that's hard. But God wouldn't want it any other way. God wants us to be connected to each other. God wants us to truly love each other and be a family. And may I say this, when love dies in the church, the work of Christ will die with it. That's why God wants to see His people love each other. And love Him, obviously, first of all. And then love each other. Like Paul loved the church at Ephesus. And then I love this, verse 32. This sort of goes back to that whole thing of, it's the church of God, so there's certain things that are beyond me that I've just got to trust God with. And notice here as Paul's getting ready to leave, he says in verse 32, I love this, I now entrust you to God. The word entrust means to deposit, to give, to turn over to. He's basically saying, I know I physically can't be with you anymore. I I can't be there every minute watching out for you spiritually. And God doesn't hold me responsible for that. God's moving me on. So I'm handing you over to God and is there anybody better to hand somebody over to than God? In a sense, we all live our lives that way. We, we all can't be with those we love every second of the day. So as we part, we're basically saying, God, I'm depositing them, I'm turning them over to you, I'm entrusting them to you, because you can watch them all the time. I can't be with them all the time. That's one of the things I pray for you all. I see, you know, many of you on Tuesday night. I see many on Sunday. I see some, you know, other times during the week. But most of the time, the rest of the week, I don't know what's going on and what you're struggling with and all that. Just, God, i turning them over to you, trusting you. If they need something, you know, may they look to you. If it's something I can help them with, then let them reach out to me or... Someone else in the church, but I don't know what's going on 24-7 in your life, but I know God does. And so as we pray, we just need to be like Paul and just say, God, I'm entrusting these dear folks to you. And, I love this, I'm not only entrusting you to God, but I'm entrusting you to God and to the message of His grace. The words of His grace. Because this message, the Word of God, notice, is able, it is capable to build you up. You know what those words mean? To promote growth. This is one of the reasons why we teach the Word of God the way we do at the Oasis. Because our Bible teaches us that this message of God's grace is able to promote growth in people. We can't grow apart from the Word of God. That's why Peter said, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word that you might what? Grow by it. Grow by it. And that's exactly what Paul says here. I'm entrusting you to God's message because His message, His Word is capable. It is able to build us up and promote growth. And notice, I love this, also to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know what that means? That means that believers will begin to find their place, their their personal niche, where they fit, in the body, if they are willing to give themselves to the Word. The Word will not only promote growth, the Word will help me find where my place is in the body. That's what the word inheritance means. That God is giving each of us as His children a personal, uh, a personal place in the body. You know, many Christians struggle. God, where do I fit in? Well, what do you want me to do? Well, see, if we would give ourselves to the Word, we will find out through the ministry of the Word and how we grow through His Word. We'll find out what our inheritance is. And this is not just talking about our inheritance when we get to heaven. It's talking about the here and now. That's why He says, the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And by the way, that word just simply means devoted and consecrated to God. Those are the ones who care about their place in the body. Those are the ones who are going to give themselves to the message that builds them up. And then verse 33. I have desired no one's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine provided for my needs and the needs of those who were with me. By all these things I have shown you by working in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to go back to this word working. It's a very interesting word. It means to literally take a beating. Paul says, I was willing to take a beating in order that I might help the weak. The word help, we could also use the word embrace. The word weak means those without strength and even sickly. And this isn't necessarily talking about physical sickness. This is talking about those who are weak spiritually. And Paul is simply saying, you know what, guys? We not only need to, to you know, obviously hang around and, and be with those that are spiritually thriving, but we need to have a heart for those that are spiritually struggling. We need to help those in the body who are weak. Because at times we're all weak. At times, we're all maybe spiritually sick or without strength. We find ourselves in a bad place spiritually. We need to have brothers and sisters in the body that's willing to help us at those times, and we obviously need people in the body to help us when we're without strength. Maybe we've even been in a situation or a season of life where we are in a, a protracted, you know, uh, season of of affliction or whatever, and we're starting to wear down. The last thing we need is somebody to come up and basically rail on us and tell us what we're not doing. We need somebody that's willing to come up, put their arm around and say, can I pray for you? And what can I do to help? And, And to encourage us in some way. And this even fits in with What Paul ends verse 35 with, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to, I want to stay here for a minute because this is an interesting concept. The, the, the origin of this word blessed at first, the word blessed was only used of God. In other words, God was the only one that was blessed because he was God. However, you believed in that. Even, even the Greeks who believed in many gods, but, but they believed that only God, then they, they sort of, it, it morphed down to where then, uh, well, you could be blessed on earth, but you had to be a king. Or you had to be a ruler. Or you had to be somebody that was very powerful and wealthy. Then you would use the word blessed to describe that kind of person. But it wasn't until Christ and Christianity came along that actually this word blessed was used to describe and characterize even people that obviously weren't gods. And weren't necessarily rulers in the world that were very wealthy and powerful and prestigious and all of that, that it could describe anybody. Because this word, blessed, really is talking about the spiritually elite. That's what it's describing. So let's not miss what Jesus himself was teaching and what Paul is teaching here by using and quoting the words of Jesus. He's saying that from God's perspective, the spiritual elite to God are those who are givers, not those who are takers. That's God's spiritual elite. That equals those who are blessed. It goes back to that whole concept of if God blesses us in some way, favors us in some way, then that's not to end with us. We are to be a channel, a conduit, uh, of blessing to others. The blessing is to flow from God through us, not just to us. Because God says, those who are really spiritually elite will be those who continue to give, not those who are taking. And we all know, you know, we live in a world today where it's all about taking and not so much giving. And, and that's why we as Christians need to rise up and step up in the grace that God supplies us with and, and live our lives as givers primarily, not takers. Now, let me say this. That doesn't mean that at times we need to be willing to receive from others. We need to be willing to receive and take from others. Because we may be in a position where, you know, we need others' help. And sometimes, too, that's even harder for Christians. Because somehow they've, you know, locked into that mindset of give, 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 and that's good to a point. But just like those people are blessed and receive a blessing by giving, we've got to allow others that blessing to be able to give to us every once in a while, too. Or we rob others, our brothers and sisters of Christ, of the blessing that they could be to us as well. But here it's more speaking about the mindset. Of not being one who is looking to take. But who's looking for opportunities to give. And it's not just talking about physically and materially. Again, it's talking about spiritually. About sharing spiritual things with spiritual people. And sometimes the greatest things and the best help that we can give maybe won't come in a physical or material way. Maybe the best thing we can do for somebody is to grant them something spiritually. Whether it's to be a prayer partner or a verse of Scripture or just some time to sit down and and listen. Whatever that looks like. Sometimes they are the best ways that we can give. And then verse 36, we wrap it up here when Paul says, when he had said these things, This is a precious thing here. He knelt down with them all and prayed. The words kneel down here speaking of of not only a solemn occasion, which obviously this was because none of these folks ever thought that they would see each other again. But it also reflects an attitude of submission, especially as they are praying. It, it, It is a physical way of expressing sort of an inner attitude. When we come together and we kneel before God in prayer, can we reflect an attitude of submission to God in our prayer life or even before God without kneeling? Absolutely. But again, this is just a physical way of sort of, again, expressing that inner attitude of, submission or surrender to God. God, we kneel before you. We are bowing before you, God. You're the Lord. You decide. And I think especially at this moment, I'm sure there were some conflicting emotions going on here. Paul really, in some ways, didn't want to say goodbye to these dear folks. And these folks, as we're going to see in a minute, really did not want to say goodbye to Paul especially with the thoughts that they would never see Him again. That was hard. And yet, if this was God's will, kneeling down to pray with a way of saying, God, not what I want, God, but what You want. We all need to have that kind of submissiveness, especially in our prayer life. That's why, again, I share with people when we talk about prayer, Prayer sometimes isn't about changing our circumstances at all. It's about changing us. That's what God primarily wants to do through prayer. For us to encounter the living God in a way that we change, whether our circumstances change or not, because we're willing to surrender and submit to God. And and this is even what Jesus modeled in the model prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven not my will but thine be done and then look at the emotion here verse 37 they all began to weep loudly and hugged Paul and kissed him especially saddened by what he said that they were not going to see him again and you can even see it now right This group with Paul when it says they accompanied him to the ship there they were the ship was there out out in the water and you you can almost imagine seeing them just holding on to each other as they approached that ship not wanting to let Paul go. By the way, this word saddened speaks of something of intense pain and anguish. But again, it reminds us of the heart that these Christians, these brothers and sisters had for one another. If they didn't care about each other, this parting would have been so much easier. So much less emotion. But that's not the way God wants His people to be with each other. As hard as it is to say goodbye and and to part ways at times, and especially to maybe know that that I'm not going to see somebody and, and our dear brothers and sisters maybe die and, and, and go to be with the Lord before we do. Yeah, it's hard. But God wouldn't want it any other way with His people. Because this is the way God is with us. This is the way Jesus would be with us. This is the way Jesus was when He was here on earth. Many times it talks about Jesus Weeping over people because of how much He loved them. It's great to know that our God is as great, as majestic, as awesome of a creator and savior and sustainer of the universe that He is. That he's not cold or indifferent in any way towards us. Though we may at times think God doesn't care. Though our spiritual enemy may seek to portray God as indifferent or apathetic or uncaring. That is not how God is portrayed in the Word of God. In fact, he always loves. If he ever ceased to love, he would cease to be God because John says God is love. God never stops loving us or anyone. He has a heart for us. A heart that drew him from the glories of heaven down to earth in a human body the incarnation. And God wants to create that kind of heart for others in us. He wants us to have that same heart that Paul had for the Ephesian Christians and the same kind of heart that the Ephesian Christians had for Paul. And I love the fact that God has begun to create that kind of heart for each other here. That God truly is building a a group of people that love and care about each other, that are sad when we're not together that is there for one another to help and support one another in any way that we can, that's the way God wants His church, His body to be for one another. And so there's so much that we can glean and gain from looking at, at Paul and his example here in his final moments with his dear brothers and sisters from Ephesus. May we allow God to use this in our lives to not only draw us closer to him, but closer to one another. Let's pray. God, we can't help but think at this time of year about giving. Because that's really what Christmas is all about. That you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son. No wonder Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is something about giving, and giving of ourselves to others that truly blesses the giver as much as it does the one who receives it. God, I pray that we will continue to grow as a body of believers here. Continue to grow into the family that you want to create here. A group of people, God, that not only have a great passion and love for you, but, God, a group of people that have a great passion and love for one another as well. Because, Lord, we know that that's what you want. That's what you desire your people to be. A reflection of you. Help us, Lord, as we end this year and begin a new year to continue to be Jesus to one another and to learn what that means to be Jesus to one another. Thank you, God, for not only, Lord, the knowledge that we can have, but thank you, God, for creating us in your image to where we can also have emotion and feeling. And even though, Lord, at times our our heart hurts and our heart can be broken, God, we we truly understand we wouldn't want it any other way. We don't we don't want to go through life not feeling anything because that's not eternal life. That's not reflective of a life in God. You as God opened yourself up to feeling the good and the bad. And God, we've got to be willing to do that as well. That's, that's life. But help us always, Lord, in that life To navigate it within you. To let you lead, and guide, and direct us. Go with us, God. We thank you for this last year we've had on Tuesday nights here in this cafeteria. And God, we pray that each and every Tuesday night has been profitable in some way and and aided in our spiritual growth. And God if Jesus doesn't come we pray that that we would be able to launch into 2015 with that same focus. God a group of us who can come together will come together every Tuesday night in 2015 and we will continue to grow together. As we immerse ourselves in this message of yours it is capable of building us up. We ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for this past year and for tonight.